This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Welcome to Coffee House Shots, Spectators' daily and sometimes more than daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls, I'm joined by Isabel Hardman and James Forsyth, and we've had the second wave of results coming in the local elections. Um, Isabel, can you talk us through this? Because I think a theme is emerging, um, this is before we get on to Keir Starmer, of course, when it comes to the Lib Dems and the Blue Wall. Yes, this is something that the Lib Dems were predicting before these uh, elections that they were going to do particularly well in the Conservative Blue Wall. And they have uh, gained, I think, just under 150 council seats in England. So they have had a a good night. The Conservatives are, um, their line to take is that it has been a mixed night. And uh, Boris Johnson, when he was responding uh, to the results, uh, was making the argument he has been making for quite some time that they need to be allowed to get on with the job and grow the economy and help with the cost of living. Now, it's it's not clear, as we discussed in our earlier podcast, as James was pointing out, how the Conservatives are going to offer any evidence that they have been able to get on with the job, given the ongoing terrible economic news that is dominating um, the news agenda outside of these local elections. So you've had Ed Davey uh, saying that uh, the results that they've had overnight will mean that they are going to win, the Lib Dems are going to win a Conservative uh, Westminster constituencies in the next general election. But you've also got Keir Starmer saying that Labour's back on track to to win the next general election. And then you've got the Conservatives saying that uh, that these are, are local results uh, with, with certain local dynamics. Now, I think one of the reasons that this doesn't really hold is that uh, the Conservatives were uh, in certain seats, particularly in London, pitching themselves as a, a brand called Local Conservatives as opposed to The Conservatives. Um, and they were trying to distance themselves from the National Party and to talk about local issues. But then you've had the former Conservative leaders of those councils who've lost control uh, to Labour saying that really the national picture was one of the big issues uh, on the doorstep. And it's, you know, it's, it's very difficult to... Um, to argue that it was just local issues here. James, when it comes to Tory MPs in Lib Dem facing seats, how worried are they going to be by some of the results we've seen if you look, for example, at Somerset? I think they will be worried. I was talking to one Tory MP in a Lib Dem facing seat and his view was that, you know, he was already gone. So there wasn't that much point worrying about him. It was how much further down the line. Now, <laughs> this this might have been a sleep deprived, uh, rather miserable result. But I, but I think this is bad. And I think what is worrying Tory MPs in the southwest is that there is one and possibly two by-elections coming up down there which are kind of ideal for the Lib Dems to come back and that you know the old joke about Lib Dems used to be that they were the kind of bindweed of British politics once they got into an area they were impossible to get rid of and I mean this is this is the worry for the Tories is that you are seeing the Lib Dems building a presence in all sorts of places and, and they are coming back in the southwest kind of clearly detoxified in the southwest from both the coalition and Brexit and in the the remain southeast parts of the southeast, they are clearly emerging as 
the main alternative to the Conservatives and benefiting, it looks like, from quite a lot of kind of tactical voting. I mean, this the BBC's projected national vote share has Labour on 35, Tories on 30 and the Lib Dems on 19, which would, which would be a, a good result for the Lib Dems. And I also think that the Lib Dems will benefit from these coming by-elections in the southwest and the kind of extra attention that they are going to get. Now, I suspect that this is more of a protest vote than anything else. I, I would, uh, at, at the risk of, of being accused of being unprofessional, I would struggle right now to name three distinctive Lib Dem policies. And I, and I won't ask you to, to do that either. But I think what they, what they have done is once more become that kind of repository for protest votes. Now, in other news as well, we spoke this morning on the podcast about how you could say really both Boris Johnson and Keir Starmer had problems when it came to their results. Obviously, big wins for Keir Starmer in London in the form of Westminster, Wandsworth, Barnet. But some questions as to really had he done enough in the red wall and looking at the vote should not, not going up particularly high. So since then, Keir Starmer has bigger problems. Can you talk us through them? Yes. So Durham Police have announced that they are reopening their investigation into what has become known as Beergate, uh, which is allegations that Sir Keir Starmer broke COVID restrictions by having a takeaway curry and a beer in a constituency office in April of last year, uh, when uh, you were uh, really supposed to uh, not be having social gatherings for food and drink and so on. Um, His argument has been that uh, the takeaway curry was necessary because he and his team needed to eat before continuing working. The Conservatives are claiming that it was uh, basically a a lockdown busting party. And uh, so this uh, is, of course, very awkward for the Labour leader who, as we've discussed again on this podcast, has not handled the questions about this event particularly well this week, uh, almost uh, suggesting with with some of his interviews that he was trying to dodge uh, offering a full account. And it also, as Mr Steerpike has reported on Coffeehouse, is awkward because he at one stage was saying that the very fact that Boris Johnson was under investigation uh, by the police should be a resigning matter. Now, Durham police have said that they uh, have repeatedly said they don't do fixed penalty notices retrospectively, but that may change, of course, in in this instance. One thing that's that's unimaginable, I think, but still worth discussing is if Keir Starmer is found to have broken the restrictions but isn't issued with a fixed penalty notice or, or whatever, does he then say, all right, fine, I'm resigning, go on, I'm off? And then what does that mean for the Conservatives who have basically said, yes, Boris Johnson broke the law, but he's got to be able to to get on with the job? Now, I I mean, when I say it's unimaginable, um, it's very hard to have a conversation with a Labour strategist about that, (laughs) about that possibility that their leader would quit. But there are credible candidates to take over waiting in the wings, uh, such as Wes Streeting, such as I think Bridget Phillipson, for instance, who, who might actually take the party into a much better position. Can the same be said of the Conservatives? I'm, I'm not sure that that is the case. We, James, you've written on Coffee House about the obvious problem with Jeremy Hunt, for instance, and more generally about the lack of uh, credible candidates to take over from Boris Johnson. Now, James, in terms of bellwether seats that we were looking at to give us an indication in local election results, which obviously can mean lots of different things, um, so much harder than the general election, there's a big focus on Newcastle under Lyme. Can you tell us the significance of that and who has won it? 
Well, it's a kind of potteries seat which the Tories took in 2019, and you know people will be looking at that as something to observe. You know how how those kind of areas are going. But now the Tories have won it from no overall control. Now I think you can extrapolate too much from one result, but I think what you see in these election results is that this this realignment that we've beginning to be, be been seeing in British politics since the 2016 referendum result, which is weakening the Tory hold in some of their traditional southern seats, but also opening up new avenues for them in some former manufacturing areas is continuing. And I think the question is that you know, the great success of a Tory campaign in 2019 was to add a whole slew of new seats, but without losing very many of their traditional seats. This realignment will not deliver big Tory majorities in the same way if the Tories end up losing, either to Labour or the Lib Dems, lots of those traditional southern heartland seats. So I think the, the, the big dilemma facing the Tory party, not only is, you know, what are they going to do on the cost of living and the economy, so that they can say, when they try and kind of pivot away from Partygate, which which has become easier because Keir Starmer is now embroiled in this police investigation. The big political strategy question is, you know, without Jeremy Corbyn to essentially whip back into the line those Tory voters who are considering leaving the party and voting for somebody else. You know, because Keir Starmer is many things, but he is not scary. You're not going to be able to say to people, you can't risk voting Liberal Democrat because that might let Keir Starmer in. That, that doesn't have the same frisson as saying, look, you don't want to let Jeremy Corbyn in. How do they try and keep both sides of their coalition happy between now and the next election? I think you've seen a lot of emphasis in recent weeks. This is something you've written about, Katie. A lot of emphasis in recent weeks on policies that seem particularly designed to appeal to new Tory voters, people who went on that journey from leave in 2016 to Tory in 2019. What do the Tories have for some of their more traditional supporters who are kind of more classic fiscal low tax conservatives? And Isabel, results are still coming in, um, but we're getting a flavour at least in terms of Scotland. What are we hearing? The latest is that the Scottish Conservatives have have suffered a a, a real um, drubbing in these Scottish local elections. So they've lost 51 councillors and uh, the SNP have uh, currently got 20 gains. Labour have currently got 16 gains. So this is particularly embarrassing for Douglas Ross, who cannot wash his hands of this and say that this was all about Partygate, this is all Boris Johnson's fault. Uh, It is uh, also an issue of his leadership, given the way in which he flip-flopped over whether Boris Johnson should be leader or not. Uh, He initially called for his resignation when it looked as though the letters were going to uh, come in and reach the threshold for a vote of no confidence. And then he withdrew it saying, no, actually, uh, the war in Ukraine means that Boris Johnson uh, should be leader. And he, uh, having disinvited him from the Scottish Conservatives uh, spring conference, he then re-invited him. And Boris Johnson actually ended up making a joke about that in the speech he then gave to that conference. We've got a piece by Stephen Daisley on Coffee House about the problems with the way that Ross has, has conducted himself. How does he justify carrying on 
being leader? What's the the purpose that he's going to say that he has? In the same way, I suppose, as Boris Johnson has been arguing that he has a purpose in staying on as prime minister, despite uh, receiving a fixed penalty notice, that his purpose is Ukraine and getting on with the job on the on the cost of living. What what is Douglas Ross's purpose? Uh, and then the the other story is uh, one we were looking. For forward to when we were making predictions about these results earlier in the week, uh, which was the resurgence of Scottish Labour under Anasawa. And they have obviously made gains. He's an incredibly dynamic leader, most dynamic that they've had uh, for quite a long time, actually, and, and one who is able to enforce a message discipline on the party that has been lacking for quite a while as well. So you see a lot of unionists who were helping the Tories, for instance, now working with Scottish Labour to try to, to boost their chances. And, and this is a um, this is uh, proof uh, f- for them that, uh, that their strategy is working. And James, what about Northern Ireland? Well, the BBC are saying that Sinn Féin will be, will top the poll. They will be the, the largest party. And th- that is obviously a, a kind of seismic moment. But I think it should be said that this isn't because Sinn Féin have suddenly surged in popularity. It's more because the unionist vote is very heavily split right now. It's split three ways between the DUP, the TUV and the Ulster Unionist Party. I think the question now is what happens in terms of trying to restore the power sharing executive? The DUP have been very clear that they won't go into a power-sharing executive until their concerns over the Northern Ireland Protocol have been addressed. So I think you know, we'll have to wait to see now. I think we are, as one diplomat puts it into me, into a kind of game of 3D chess between the negotiations to try and restore the power-sharing executive at Stormont and the kind of negotiations between the UK and the EU over the Northern Ireland Protocol, but with this kind of threat of UK unilateral action kind of hanging over that and how all these things interlink with each other. I, I, I suspect that we will be reading much more about Northern Ireland and the protocol and the power sharing executive in the coming months. Thank you, James. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening.